The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. We are in Joshua 19:17 through 23. This is entitled The Inheritance of Issachar. The fourth lot came out to Issachar, for the children of Issachar, according to their families, and their territory went to Jezreel, and included Kesselot, Shunem, Haphraim, Shion, Anaharat, Rabit, Kishion, Abetz, Remet, Enganim, Enhada, and Beth Pazetz. And the border reached to Tabor, Shahazima, and Beshemesh. Their border ended at the Jordan. Sixteen cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Without giving away all of the details of the sermon, I will note that the typology of this short passage follows logically after that of the previous one. 
Zebulun. Last week, Zebulun pictured what? The rapture. Okay, what happens after the rapture? Okay, yes. We're going to see if this actually happens. That makes sense when considering that Zebulun and Issachar are brothers and sons of the same mother. And yet Jacob blessed them in reverse order, and their inheritances are in reverse order as well. Now, you have to ask, why would the Lord do that? Why would he reverse their blessings? Who knows? Why would that reversal be repeated now? There's nothing in Scripture to indicate that either son did anything right or wrong, as is the case with the other sons of Israel. It seems arbitrary, but it isn't. When we get to the end of today's verses, we will at least have seen the typological reason for why. Keep in mind that Israel, the nation, is going through the tribulation period. Why is that? Obviously, it's because they rejected Jesus as their Messiah for the past 2,000 years. They had the opportunity to acknowledge him right up until A.D. 70. They didn't, and off they went into a time of the curses of the law, which led to their exile. They have had the opportunity as a nation to call out to him since 1948 when they were reestablished. They still have not done so. However, Daniel 9 reveals to us that they will enter into a future time of law observance with the signing of a peace deal, which includes the sacrificial worship of the law. So what is the common denominator in their dispersion and punishment along with their entering into the tribulation period? The law. They will enter into the tribulation period because they chose and will continue to choose the law over the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Our text first comes from Hebrews 8. It is verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I can't figure out how many people in the church cannot understand that Israel has been under the punishment of the law for rejecting Jesus. Israel will enter into the tribulation period because of rejecting Jesus. That means their default position at this time is life under the law. They agreed to it at Mount Sinai, and it has been a weight on them ever since. And yet, People in the church keep reintroducing the law into their theology, which is supposed to be grace alone through faith alone. It is maddening to see and baffling to the brain. All they need to do is pick up the Bible and read it in context. With Adam and then Israel as the example of living under the law, they just need to think it through. We don't need more law. We need grace. One can choose the law or he can choose grace. The law came first in order for there to be the opportunity for grace. Grace cannot reign in one's life while law exists in his life. Israel chose the law, and until they accept Christ's fulfillment of it, they cannot receive the grace. The result of this choice is death because the wages of sin is death, and it is by law that we have the knowledge of sin. This theme runs so deeply through scripture that it is a primary doctrine. It became evident in the second chapter of Genesis. 
it was the main focus of everything in Scripture from Exodus 20 until Jesus cried out his dying words and gave up his spirit, as is recorded in the Gospel. Grace over law continues to be the focal point of Scripture until the last verse of the Bible, where John bestows a final blessing upon those who hear the words, saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Again, why is Israel going through the tribulation? It is because God has chosen to use the tribulation period to judge the world for its unrighteousness and yet to also give all who failed to come to him through the grace of Jesus Christ one last opportunity to do so. Jesus is what the name Issachar points to. He is wages. Let's see how that is revealed in today's passage. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is the fourth lot. It's verses 17 through 23, and it's not a lot of verses, is it? I mean, it's just a very short little passage. The narrative continues to detail the final seven tribal land inheritances which are being assigned according to the lot. The first was to Benjamin, the second was to Simeon, the third went to Zebulun. Now, the fourth is designated and detailed, starting with verse 17. The fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar according to their families. Zebulun's lot was said to have ascended. Now, the wording returns to the more familiar term, yatsa, meaning to come out. But what is unusual is that the name Issachar is repeated twice. Le Yisachar Yatsa Hagoral Haravi Livne Yisachar Le Mishpotam. To Issachar went out the lot, the fourth, two sons, Issachar, to their families. Issachar was Jacob's ninth son and the fifth son of his first wife, Leah. Though he is older than Zebulun, the lot drawn for him comes after Zebulun, which agrees with the order of the blessing by Jacob in Genesis 49. We read this last week. We'll read it again this week. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Zebulun is younger, and yet he was blessed first. And then Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. The record of his birth is quite detailed. It is found in Genesis 30. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. Think of the problems this guy has. And he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. From the context of the passage, you can probably figure out the meaning of the name. Issachar means he is wages. As Leah said, God has given me my wages. 
The name comes from Nasa, meaning to lift up, and Sakhar, wages. On the march from Egypt to Canaan, Issachar was stationed to the east of the tabernacle together with Judah and Zebulun, also born to Leah under the standard of Judah. With the casting of the lot, the territory will next be detailed. For the most part, only the names of the cities will be provided. The borders are not stated except for the portion which is at the eastern side of the northern border. The other borders are not necessary because they can be determined by reviewing the borders of the tribes surrounding Issachar. Now the verse begins with, verse 18, And their territory went to Jezreel, Vehi Gevulam Yitzrela, and was their border Jezreel word. Jezreel means God sows. Jones's Dictionary of the Old Testament Proper Names proposes the meaning of He will be sown of God adding that it means he will have numerous progeny. But that is not necessarily the intent. In the book of Hosea, the name will be used to signify God sowing judgment among Israel, making a pun upon the two names. Here's what it says. So he went out and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. The name Yisrael, or he strives with God, is set in contrast to Yitzrael, or God sows. Israel strived with, meaning against God and God would sow judgment, signified by Jezreel, among Israel. Thus, the name simply signifies God sows. He sows whatever he determines to sow, be it progeny, judgment, blessing, and so on. Verse 18 continues, and included, Kesulot Shunem, Veha Kesulot Veshunem, and the Kesulot and Shunem. As with several other locations to be named, this is the only mention of Kesulot in Scripture. It is similar to the first part of the name Kislot Tavor, seen in verse 19:12. The name comes from Kesel, meaning loins or flanks, stupidity, or confidence, but it is misplaced confidence. As such, it means something like the misplaced confidences or stupidities. Abarim notes, this is also the word for stellar constellations in general, and more specific, the constellation Orion. Hence, they give a secondary meaning of constellations. Another option is that it could mean loins or slopes because it was believed to be on the slopes of a small mountain. The root of Shunem is debated. It could come from a word meaning to be quiet or from one meaning jag, crag, or tooth. Thus, it is translated as two resting places. Think of being quiet, and it's in the plural, or uneven. And Abarim proposes silences or teeth. So you've got silences, which would be like resting places, and you've got teeth, which are jagged or uneven quite often, like mine. Verse 19, Hafraim Shion Anaharat. Hafraim comes from Hafar, to dig. Abarim notes this would be both in order to unearth something and to bury something. Hence, this verb may be used to one, describe a quest for something wanted, or two, a quest to obscure something unwanted. It also may come from kefir, to be ashamed, 
because when something wicked is exposed, it becomes evident, thus bringing shame. Therefore, it means two digs, two shames, double pits, or double shame. Shion comes from the same root as sho, which is a destruction or a desolation. That word is used by Zephaniah concerning the day of the Lord. Here's what it says there. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation. The word sho and desolation, meshoah, coming from sho. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Thus, Shion means something like empty or ruin. Anaharat comes from nahar, meaning nostrils or snorting. That is found only twice in the Old Testament, once in Job and once in Jeremiah. In both, it is referring to the snorting of a horse. The majestic description of the horse in Job, which goes on for seven full verses, begins with these words. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting, his nahar, strikes terror. The name Anaharat means snorting. But Strong's understands this to then mean a narrow pass or a gorge, like a nostril. So you're wondering why they would name a place snorting? It's because it's probably in a pass or a gorge somewhere. That's why they would name it that way. Verse 20, Rabit Kishion Abetz. Veha Rabit ve Kishion ve Abetz. And the Rabit and Kishion and Abez. Rabit comes from Ravav, to become much or many. Hence, it is the multitude or the great. Kishion comes from a primitive root signifying to be dense. It can be rendered both literally and figuratively. Thus, it means hard, tough, stubborn, severe, and so on. Therefore, it signifies hardness, hard place, or very hard. Avets comes from an unused root meaning to gleam. Strong's translates it as conspicuous. Verse 21, Remet and Ganim and Hada and Beth Pazez. Remet means heights, high places, or lofty place. And Ganim comes from Ayin, which is either a fountain or an eye, and the plural of the word garden. Hence, it means fountain of gardens. The Gan, or garden, comes from a root signifying being covered, surrounded, and defended. And Ganim is the location of modern Jenin, a spot often in the news because it is plagued with violence from the Muslims who reside there. And Hada comes from Ayin, meaning a fountain or an eye. Also, along with the second part that is derived from Hadad, to be fierce or to sharpen. It is translated as fountain of joy by Abarim. Others say swift fountain, fountain of sharpness or sharp eye. Beth Pazetz means house of dispersion, coming from puts to scatter. Verse 22, and the border reached to Tabor, Ufaga Hagevu Betavor, and impinged the border in Tabor. Tabor may come from Barar, to purify or clarify, and it would mean purified, purifying, or clarifying. However, Strong's connects it to the word Tavar, to break, and calls it broken region. Verse 22 continues, Shahazima and Beth Shemesh. 
Shachatsima, or also called Shachatsuma, comes from Shachats, dignity or pride. Thus, it is something like proudly. Lang, however, defines it as heights. Why would he do that? Because pride is high. Okay, that's why he says that. The word Shachats is found only twice in the Bible, both in Job and both referring to the dignity or confidence of proud animals, such as Job 28.8, nor have the sons of pride, shachats, trodden it. The fierce lion has not passed over it. And then from Job 41.34, he sees every high thing. He is king over all the sons of pride, shachats. Beshemesh means house of the sun, and this is obviously a different Beshemesh than that granted to Judah back in Joshua 15.10. Verse 22 continues, their border ended at the Jordan, vehayu totzot gevulam hayarden, and our outgoings, their border, the Jordan. Though not stated explicitly, this means that the border goes to the Jordan and then south. As such, it defines Issachar's eastern border as the Jordan, the descender. Verse 22 continues, 16 cities with their villages. Arim, Shesh, Esrei, Vechatzrehen. Cities 610 and their villages. One of the cities, Tabor, is named as belonging to Zebulun in 1 Chronicles 6, verse 77. But it is not uncommon to have a border town assigned to more than one tribe. Verse 23, this was the inheritance of the children of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities and their villages. Zot nachalat mate bene Yisachar le mishpotam he'arim vechatrehen. This inheritance tribe Issachar to their families, their cities, and their villages. With this, the cities of Issachar, along with a couple of its borders, have been defined. As said earlier, the other borders can be determined from the borders of the tribes that are neighboring them. Wages are owed, and they will be paid. That is absolutely certain in the case of sin. What is due has been measured and weighed, and that means we are all done in. That is, unless someone else will pay what is due, and if he is able and willing to pay the high cost. But what are the chances anyone will come through? Alas, there is no hope. Humanity is lost. But God has done it. There is hope renewed. He has sent Jesus to take away our sin. In his death, wages are paid for what we accrued. Because of his work, a new life will begin. Our second thought today is explaining the typology. While we were on break, uh, somebody came up to me and uh, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, I said, I'd like you to try to evaluate these names and places if you want and just see if you come up with something. And one of the people came up and said, that's really hard, something like that. She tried. She gave it an effort. And uh, five cities, was it? Five cities. It's a lot of work doing this. But boy, I'm telling you, it's worth it every week. It's such treasure in the Word of God. As we saw, the name Issachar means he is wages. He is named after his younger brother Zebulun, or glorious dwelling place. The territory of Issachar began with a note concerning it was toward Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows. I propose that Issachar, the older brother being identified after Zebulun, is tied to events in the biblical narrative that also occur in a set order. Last week, Zebulun made a remarkable picture of the rapture. 
God's people, the church comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, is taken out. What follows that event? The sequence of events is laid out by Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The next events are the revealing of the Antichrist and the tribulation period. That leads to restoration of Israel. Issachar, or he is wages, reveals this in typology. As noted, Issachar comes from Nassah, to lift up, and Sakar wages. Wages are what is earned. Death, for example, is the wages of sin. For those who trust in the Lord, death, meaning spiritual death and separation from God, is no longer a concern. This means that Christ is the wages paid for man's sin. He was lifted up and became the payment. In the restoration of Israel, this will finally, finally be true for them, just as it is for the church right now. This is reflected, for example, in Isaiah 62. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed, to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward, his sakar, that's where Issachar comes from, is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Noting Jezreel first with the border going Jezreel word would signify that God sows in the direction that one pursues. In forsaking Christ, God sows judgment and condemnation. In coming to Christ, God sows restoration and blessing. After Jezreel, kesalot, or stupidities, or misplaced confidences, was mentioned. Israel and most of the world will be found stupid, or with misplaced confidence when the Antichrist is revealed. Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 5. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Think of misplaced confidences. Paul gives greater detail concerning this bad dude. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved." And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. After Kesselot, Shunem is named. It is a condensed plural word probably best defined as two resting places, although that could be debated. If that is correct, it could be considered the two paths that Israel will take in the tribulation period. The majority will seek rest in the Antichrist, while the others will seek rest in Christ. That is followed by Haphraim, to digs. As noted, the root means to dig, both in order to unearth something and to bury something. This would logically follow Shunem. Part of the people are digging to bury their shame, and the other part is digging to expose it. Christ is the difference between the two. 
The next city is Shion, empty or ruin. As noted, the word's root was referred to in Zephaniah 1 when anticipating the day of the Lord. It is the state of how things will be at that time. Shion was followed by Anaharat, coming from Nahar, meaning nostrils or snorting. The snorting, however, can be taken in a hyperbolic sense to speak of coming destruction, such as in Jeremiah 8. Here's what it says. We look for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. These verses of Jeremiah were actually believed by some of the church fathers to be referring to the coming of the Antichrist. Whether that is the case, the parallel of the Babylonian destruction to that of the end times is a valid one. The Rabit is named next. It means the multitude. That would fit perfectly with the prophecy of Joel chapter 3, certainly an end times verse. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This is the same as the valley of Jehoshaphat mentioned in Joel 3. That is generally accepted as the area separating Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. But the battle itself is describing events in Jezreel, Megiddo Valley. Joel 3, let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. That this is Jezreel, meaning Megiddo, can be deduced from the comparable passage in the book of Revelation. Here's what it says in Revelation 14. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles, for 1,600 furlongs. That is later defined in Revelation chapter 16 as Armageddon, meaning the valley of Megiddo where Mount Megiddo is. In other words, Armageddon comes from Har Megiddo, Mount Megiddo. The next location is Kishion, signifying hardness, hard place, or very hard, coming from Kasha, hard in both a literal and a figurative sense. For example, it is used when referring to hardened hearts and stiffened necks. This could then be referring to either the state of the people in rebellion against the Lord or the dire straits in which the people find themselves. Both hold true concerning the tribulation period. The next location, Avets, comes from an unused root meaning to gleam. Strong's is the only one I could find who even translates it. He says, conspicuous. Based on the coming names, I would say this signifies the revelation of Christ to the people, though this is speculation by Charlie Garrett because of the rarity of the name. But Revelation 19 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called 
the Word of God. With this advent, Jesus is seen to be the incarnate Jehovah of the Old Testament, symbolized by ramet, or high places, coming from rum, to be high or exalted. That is seen, for example, in Isaiah 57. For thus says the high, rum, and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high, marom, coming from rum, and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The way in which the contrite ones are revived is defined in the coming names. First, Enganim, Fountain of Gardens, is named. This speaks of the source of the water for gardens, be it Eden, Gethsemane, or heaven. A garden is a place of innocence, security, conscience, happiness, salvation, and purity. The ending of the tribulation period and Israel's restoration is seen in En Chada. That is translated by Abarim as fountain of joy. The significance of that is seen in Zechariah 12 and 13 at the time of Judah's restoration. Here's what it says. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. That pouring out is then explained as Zechariah 13 opens. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. This pouring out and fountain are to be on this particular group of people who are then explained by the name Beth Pazez, or house of dispersion. As seen earlier, the word patzetz is derived from puts, a scattering. Zechariah 13 continues with words that explain the meaning. Here's what it says in Zechariah 13, 7 through 9. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, puts. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. Think of this. The tribulation period, two-thirds of Israel is going to die. But one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Great stuff. The house of the dispersion becomes the house where the dispersed are brought back far fewer in number. Their state is then explained by the next location, Tabor, or purified. It is a name coming from Barar, to purify. It is the state of the people who have gone through the refiner's fire and been purified. Daniel refers to this process using the word Barar, or purified. Daniel 12. Many shall be purified, barar, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. It all fits. It's so wonderful to see this. With that scene, the next location, Shahazimah, meaning proudly, was named. This was explained as dignity or confidence of a proud animal in the book of Job. That can easily be a metaphor for those who are saved by the Lord. As Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, there's no reason to not equate those in him to sons of such confidence, dignity, and pride. 
The next location is Beth Shemesh, or House of the Sun. As noted in Joshua 15, it provides an obvious picture of the eternal nature of the light of Christ, who is called the Son of Righteousness in Malachi chapter 4. Thus, House of the Sun speaks of Christ dwelling among his people. With that, the last location noted said, Ve'hayu totzot gebulam hayarden, and our outgoings, their border, the Jordan. Christ is the descender. Those who are in Christ are set in their inheritance based upon his descent during his first advent to accomplish the work set before him. Thus, to say the outgoings of their border is the Jordan, it means that this is how the border of their inheritance is set, meaning through the finished work of Jesus Christ. With the naming of the locations complete, the final note concerning the grant was that it was comprised of 16 cities with their villages. Bollinger does not define the number 16, but it is the product of two and eight. Two is the number of division or difference. Eight is the number of superabundance and the number of a new beginning of series, a series that is starting again. This could then be explained by the difference of those who enter the tribulation to those who are separated to the Antichrist and those who are separated to Christ, and this is followed by a new beginning, eight. For the latter, an existence of superabundance as they enter the millennium. For the former, superabundant condemnation. The verses today ended with the note that this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar. The children of he is wages have received their inheritance, and it is not because of anything they have done to merit it. Likewise, for those in Jesus Christ, or for those who come to him during the tribulation, their state is granted based on unmerited favor. All people have a choice to make. God does not force it on us, and he does not select some for salvation and some to be condemned apart from their free will. The offer is made in the promise of Messiah, whether looking forward to his coming in times past or looking back on his coming in the world today. God has done all that is necessary for man to be reconciled to him, but we must accept the offer. To turn down God's offer is to remain in one's sin and to receive just condemnation. To accept it is to find peace, restoration, and eternal life. I would hope that you will choose wisely. Accept what God has done, believe in your heart, and call out to God, professing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has made access into heaven possible. Thank God. Thank God for what he has done in Jesus Christ. So you can see these borders, these cities, these inheritances are following a pattern. They're telling us a story. Something is going on, and it's being done in a logical way so that we can see what God has done and what he is going to do. It's really wonderful to see. If you think about it, Judah and Zebulun and Issachar all traveled together around when they were in you know, the uh, tabernacle as they were in the wilderness. And then we have two of these brothers now, okay? But Judah is the promise of the covenant to the Jews. And then you have a portion of them, the Gentiles who brought into the new covenant through Christ, and any Jews that are attached with them during this dispensation of grace being taken out at the rapture. And then what happens? The rest of them that are left behind have to go through the tribulation period. It's all being seen in order. We're being given pictures so that we know when it comes or when we're getting close to it coming, 
what is going to happen. This is wonderful stuff. And this is why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. This is why I believe the New Testament as it is literally written. Because no Jew on the planet would have written this if they understood the typology. They would not have done it. Okay? You think it through. It's so clear what is being done. Thank God for Jesus. If you want to be a part of what Jesus Christ is going to do for his people, great. Call on him today. Just simply believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. This is what God asks of you. And I understand it can be the hardest thing in the world to put self aside. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Go out and you witness to people. Just do it. Go out and say, listen, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Why should you go to heaven? 99% of the time, the first word that you hear come out of their mouth is, I. I have done this. I have done that. I'm not as bad as the next guy. And on and on and on. It's all about me. That's hard to get me out of the equation. It's very hard. But once you've done it, it's the freest, most wonderful thing in the world. You don't have to worry about me anymore. It's all about Jesus. I will only get you in trouble. I call it the I problem. Get rid of the I problem. See clearly. Call on Jesus. And he is going to take you out at the rapture. I'm as certain of this as I am of anything else. If I'm wrong, you got to go through the tribulation period. Okay, sorry. Not my fault. You're not going to. God will take you out. Our closing verse comes from Romans 11. Romans 9 through 11 focuses on what group of people? The Jews, almost exclusively. Okay, God is not going to forsake the people that he made a covenant with and said, I'm going to get you through this and into the new covenant. He's not going to do it. I don't understand people who can even think that way. I got a long, long email from somebody this past week explaining why I was wrong. I used to be a dispensationalist, but I think, I think, I think, I think. I kept going back to him with, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Can't help you if you don't read the Bible. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Oh, those Jews, they don't, they're out. Churches replace them. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from the church? No, from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God will not forsake his people. We, we just need to trust that the Bible is true and that he is faithful to them despite their unfaithfulness. Thank God for Jesus Christ who reveals the faithfulness of God in so many wonderful ways. Thank you. Wow, is that bright today? Next week we got Joshua 19, 24 through 31. More exciting than a 100-yard Olympic Dasher. It's entitled The Inheritance of Asher. Thank you. Our 41st <laughs> Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? I got a very short poem for you, but before I give that to you, um, Please raise your hand because I know, I said this last week and I'm sorry it didn't happen, but this week I'm certain at least one or two people has to get this. Raise your hand. When the Lord told Jonah to prophesy to Nineveh, where did he, meaning Jonah, arise to flee to? 
Who said that? Somebody said something. Kadesh? You're close. You're really close. Kadesh is in the wilderness now. You're so close. Well, it starts with a T. You give it to me and you got it. You got the last part. Tarshish. You're so close. You were right. It could be Spain. Some people think it's the British Isles, etc. But he went to flee to Tarshish. I, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. He got really close. But Kadesh is in the, the desert. Okay. That's way down. That's Kadesh. Remember where Moses and uh, uh, what's his name struck? Uh, Aaron struck the rock right around the area of Kadesh. That was really close, though. Very good. I know. What, the hardest thing in the world, and it's for Charlie Garrett, too. You saw that during the uh, quiz we had, is to get these things right because you are the ones under pressure. If you're not under pressure, is that me ringing? I mean, somebody is ringing like crazy. Let me see what's going on here. Is that me? Um, I don't know. It's not me. That was a couple minutes ago, but that's... Anyway, somebody's ringing. It's got the same ringtone as me, though. The train that goes, woo. Uh, yeah, it, it's a train tone. Okay, let's do the sorry. It was so close. Vic, if you want it, if you feel that you... Okay. All right, this is the inheritance of Issachar. The fourth lot came out to Issachar. For the children of Issachar, according to their families, it did go. And their territory went to Jezreel and included Kesalot, Shunem, Haphraim, Shion, and Anaharat also. Rabit, Kishion, Abetz, Remet, and Ganim, and Hada, and Beth Pazetz. And the border reached to Tabor, Shahazima, and Beshemesh. Their border ended at the Jordan 16 cities with their villages too. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar. According to their families, the cities, and their villages, they did accrue. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises of the word. And we're you know, everybody here is distressed to think of the tribulation period and what is coming on this world. But it is a self-inflicted wound, and it's becoming more evident every single day with the way things are going. Lord, we pray for your speedy return, but at the same time, we want to pray for people to be saved until the last moment. And so help us to be about our business and telling people about Jesus, telling people about the glory which is ahead. Thank you, Lord God, for all you've done for us. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right. That rang again. I don't know if that's me. Let's see here. It is me. No, it's not. Unless I got another one on. I just got to know what's going on because this thing's five messages. Who is that? I just have to know. It's driving me crazy. Okay, it's not me because this one goes back to 12 <laughs> Jody! Yes! I wonder what's going on. I'll read those later. Oh. Okay. I, I don't know. It's just been going crazy for the past few minutes. Has everybody else heard that? Okay. All right. Okay. <sighs>